This is West Virginia Morning. I'm Teresa Wills. School discipline issues are top of mind for many legislators in Charleston right now. As one explains, it isn't just older kids either. We're talking about kids who are assaulting, throwing uh, computers across the room, um, screaming, having emotional outbursts that's causing an unsafe environment for the other students in the classroom. That story and more coming up this West Virginia Morning. Support for West Virginia Morning is proudly provided by Luke Frazier. A bill increasing criminal penalties for child abuse and neglect is moving through the legislature. Randy Yowie has more. The bill raises fines and prison time for parents, guardians, and custodians convicted of felony crimes involving child abuse or neglect causing bodily injury and risk of death. House Bill 4302 also includes people in a position of trust with a child, such as a daycare worker, as those also subject to the same penalties upon a child abuse or neglect conviction. The bill's sponsor, Delegate Doug Smith, a Republican from Mercer County, says that inclusion is vital in 2024. Those people are responsible for our children, uh, same as any adult would be, uh, father, mother, grandparent. The child abuse bill passed 96-0 on third reading in the House and now goes on to the Senate, where Smith says it has not advanced in three previous attempts. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Randy Yowie in Charleston. The Senate completed action on a bill that makes it a felony to give someone drugs that causes them to die. It now heads to the House of Delegates. Brianna Heaney has the story. Senate Bill 219, the Uniform Controlled Substance Act, states that any person who delivers a controlled substance to someone who subsequently dies from an overdose of that substance will be charged with a felony. Senator Charles Trump says the bill also states if someone who has been using drugs with an overdosing person then fails to seek medical assistance, they can be charged with a felony. That means contacting the 911 emergency system, a poison control facility, any type of a first responder, a medical facility, or a medical professional capable of treating an overdose. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Brianna Heaney in Charleston. Newly secured federal funding aims to bolster rural water infrastructure for two West Virginia cities. Jack Walker has the story. Rural communities in Marion and Jackson counties will soon receive water system upgrades. That's thanks to a new $3.2 million investment from the Environmental Protection Agency. The federal agency is funding infrastructure projects for the communities of Mannington and Ripley. Specifically, these funds will help upgrade the city's wastewater treatment plants and water meters. Water infrastructure in West Virginia has long struggled due to age, a lack of investment, and funding issues tied to population decline. These conditions have jeopardized some rural communities' access to drinking water and wastewater services. But, in recent years, millions of federal dollars have gone toward regional water projects. State officials hope this can improve water access for West Virginia's rural communities. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Jack Walker in Charleston. The Gas and Oil Association of West Virginia held its winter meeting in Charleston last week. Curtis Tate stopped by and has this story. The state's gas and oil trade group gathered in the ballroom at Charleston's Marriott Town Center to hear presentations on the current conditions and future opportunities in the sector. Gas and oil demand, along with prices, rose in 2021 when the national economy rebounded from the COVID-19 pandemic downturn. 
Higher demand and higher prices resulted in increased severance tax revenue for West Virginia state and local governments. Now prices are down and gas is oversupplied. But Jeff Eisner, the association's president, says two things should help. First, the pending completion of the Mountain Valley Pipeline. Second, the Appalachian Hydrogen Hub, or ARCH-2, which will use some gas to produce hydrogen. Well, we're really excited about the completion of the MVP pipeline uh, that should come online in the next few months, sometime later in this year. And, um, you know, there's going to be some presenters today talking about microgrids and hydrogen hubs. Um, so, so exciting topics that are going to come up. Um, you know, market conditions are pretty bad. Uh, we're oversupplied nationally and within our basin. So um, we're, a lot of talk about how to increase demand for natural gas. The Mountain Valley Pipeline, or MVP, is delayed and over budget because of court challenges from landowners and environmental groups. The 300-mile pipeline extends from north-central West Virginia to southern Virginia. Eisner says it will open up new markets for the region's gas. You know, with technology improvements that the industry's made over the last decade, couple decades, um, we've been able to extract a lot of gas, but you've got to put it somewhere. And so our storage numbers are full which is suppressed markets, uh, but the MVP pipeline will help get some of that gas to market and allow uh, some competition of energy for those markets. Arch 2 is one of eight regional hydrogen hubs created through an $8 billion Department of Energy program funded through the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act, which President Joe Biden signed in 2021. Charlie Bird, the association's executive director, says it's an opportunity for gas. The hydrogen hubs that were uh, announced recently uh, will be transformative if they can be accomplished as they were intended to be accomplished. Uh, new regulations or interpretations of the regulations could hurt those just a bit. And so we continue to work with Senators Manchin and Capito to make sure that, uh, that the original intent of that legislation is carried through. But actually, an, uh, hydrogen will will be a real fuel of the future. Whether it's used to produce hydrogen or electricity, gas emits carbon dioxide. Proposed federal regulations would require companies that use gas to capture and store the CO2 emissions. Bert says sequestration, the storage of CO2, depends heavily on geology. Well, uh, the, uh, the whole key to that will be the sequestration of carbon. And uh, they announced a project, I believe it was out in Utah or out west, where they set right on top of a major salt dome where you can, where you can sequester uh, the carbon. Uh, back here, it's going to take pipeline construction, it's going to take a little bit of innovation and ingenuity to find the developable sites to be able to sequester the carbon. And um, uh, we look forward to the challenge of doing that. Other presenters noted that renewables are the lowest cost form of electricity, though gas currently dominates the U.S. electric grid. Industry experts envision that gas and renewables together will meet the country's energy needs for years to come. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Curtis Tate in Charleston. This is West Virginia Morning. I'm Teresa Wills. It's 751. There's a chance of freezing rain in the northern panhandle this morning. Mostly cloudy skies today with a chance of rain highs in the 40s and 50s. Tonight, a chance of rain lows in the 30s. Tomorrow, rain likely with highs in the 40s and 50s. Rain continues tomorrow night and into Thursday. Overnight lows in the 30s and 40s. 
Daytime highs on Thursday in the 50s and 60s. Support for WVPB is provided by Good News Mountaineer Garage, a nonprofit organization accepting donated vehicles to help a West Virginian get on the path to economic independence. More at goodnewsmountaineergarage.com. Dozens, if not hundreds, of bills have been introduced in the legislature that involve education. Randy Yowie spoke with Senator Amy Grady and Delegate Jeff Stevens about what some of those bills mean for public education in West Virginia. Both legislators are classroom teachers as well. Let's start with, I guess the elephant in the room is discipline, school discipline. been talked about a lot. Senator Grady, I'll start with you. There were some bills passed last year that were supposed to deal with the problem. It sounds like they're not working, and you may have something new to offer. So first of all, uh, how serious is the problem from what you see in here? This, the problem is serious, and what we're, the bill we passed last year, Randy, was um, House Bill 2890, and it dealt with 6th through 12th grade. And so what we're looking at is changing that one a little bit because it's not working the way it is, but also adding something for K-5 because we're seeing kids at a younger age coming in. And I'm not talking about what we used to see when I was growing up and probably Delegate Stevens, you know, just an ornery kid. We're not talking about that. We're talking about kids who are assaulting, throwing uh, computers across the room, um, screaming, having emotional outbursts that's causing an unsafe environment for the other students in the classroom. You're seeing that in kindergartners, first graders, second graders, and teachers are burnt out and they feel like their hands are tied. And what other profession can we say that somebody is expected to be assaulted and be okay with it? None. But as teachers, every day, you know, you could be assaulted by a student, a 10-year-old, a 9-year-old, and just have to deal with it and move on. And that's not okay. So what's the core of what we can do to help teachers uh, solve that problem? A lot of teachers feel like they don't have supportive administration. And a lot of administrators feel like, well, you know, there's a push not to expel kids from school, not to suspend kids from school, because that's not proven to work, right? So we've got to find a way where we're showing compassion for kids that because they're doing this for a reason. You know, when you're that young of an age, you have, that's an emotional issue, probably comes from uh, emotional trauma at home, probably parts of the drug epidemic. I'm sure we're seeing a lot of that right now. And these kids can't regulate their feelings. And so we have to teach them how to do that. But we also have to make sure we're protecting teachers and we're also protecting the students that are in that classroom that are coming to learn and it's 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 a it's a fine line uh, showing compassion but also putting some teeth to discipline um, and I'm trying to perfect a bill I don't know that it'll get there but I that's my goal it's, it's uh, there's a lot to it y'all can see it was eighth graders you I mean you think about eighth graders you get precocious maybe a little wild there you know I can try to remember when I was in eighth grade yeah. but uh, you say you have a fairly mellow school uh, we do uh, and I think that stems from a lot of different things. I think it stems from the kids that we get. Uh, I think we're, we're lucky enough to be in a good community. Uh, a lot of parent involvement. Uh, I think that that's key. Um, and you know, I know throughout the state, with uh, you know, with our single parent homes and maybe kids that don't go home to the, a regular home uh, on a regular basis, uh, they need a support program because, uh, like Senator Grady said, if this is starting at like kindergarten or first grade, that is not something that they want to do. That's something that they either 
they see on a regular basis or that that's all they know. And, and I think maybe starting with uh, like behavior uh, analysis and, and getting to the root of the problem because I, I think a kindergartner or first grader doesn't want to promote violence. That's not what they're trying to do, but that's what they see. Um, and, and I think it starts there at the younger ages. I know that you said they had something for 6th to 12th grade, but sometimes once they get to 6th grade, it's really tough to break some of those habits and, and some of those things that they do. Uh, I think in starting at the younger age, I think that, that that's great and something that we should do. Um, but, you know, as far as expulsion or as far as, you know, out-of-school suspensions, sometimes that, that's good, but sometimes that's putting them back in an environment that that's where they're learning those things. So we have to come up with an idea or a plan to say, we're going to provide support for these kids because that's what we're there for. I mean, that, that's, you know, now we're educating kids, but we have to be there to support them as well. Um, and I think that's something we need to look at. So let's go back to the challenge of crafting the bill. The challenge, I think, is probably the operative word. Who are you listening to? Who are you talking to? Uh, who do you have involved? Oh, Randy, I've been listening and talking to lots of people. I'm starting with teachers, number one, uh, because the same as Delegate Stevens here. My, my school, we don't have a lot of discipline problems because we're very small rural school, same reasons. Uh, but I'm listening to other teachers who, I've talked to teachers that have been teaching for 25 plus years and they're ready to quit. And it's because of the discipline. It's because of the issues. Um, and, they, and then they say they have supportive administrators, but a lot of times their administrators want feel like they can love a kid so much that it'll change the behaviors. You know, we can show them so much love here because they don't get it at home that it's going to change the behavior. And sometimes that helps. And we definitely want to love kids. But but sometimes it doesn't have any bearing whatsoever. You know, so we've got to think of a way. There are a lot of counties that have behavioral intervention programs that are working really well. They're expensive. You know, they are. They're expensive. So I've been exploring ways that we can use that opioid settlement money to help encourage counties to set those up in their county if they don't already have one. Um, because even though they're expensive to operate, think about the amount of money you're saving in the long run on that student, especially when they become an adult and they still have these problems. So that those programs can teach them how to um, basically rehabilitate them. You know, teach them how to control their emotions, teach them what they need to know, and so they can operate well in a regular classroom. That was Senator Amy Grady and Delegate Jeff Stevens speaking with Randy Yoey for the legislature today. To hear the rest of that interview, visit our website at wvpublic.org and tune in to the legislature today every evening at 6 p.m. West Virginia Morning is a production of West Virginia Public Broadcasting, which is solely responsible for its content. You can keep up with the latest West Virginia news throughout the day on our website, wvpublic.org. Support for our news bureaus comes from Shepherd University. West Virginia Morning is produced with help from Bill Lynch, Brianna Heaney, Chris Schultz, Curtis Tate, Emily Rice, Eric Douglas, Jack Walker, Liz McCormick, and Randy Yowie. Eric Douglas is our news director, and he produced today's show. I'm your host, Teresa Wills. This is West Virginia Morning.